Chapter Ten of the Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, and the Lady. And this was the extraordinary chain of events which brought young Merriton into Mister Narkom's office that day, while Cleek was sitting there, and on being introduced as Mister Headland. Heard the story from Sir Nigel's lips, as he came to the last, and no trace of either body has ever been found. Cleek suddenly switched round in his chair and exclaimed, "An extraordinary rigmarole altogether!" Meeting Merriton's astonished eyes with his own keen ones, he went on, "The flames, of course, are a plant of some sort. That goes without saying." But the thing to find out is what they're there for to hide. When you've discovered that, you'll have got halfway to the truth, and the rest will follow as a matter of course. What's that, Mister Narkom? Yes, I'll take the case, Sir Nigel. My name's Cleek, Hamilton Cleek, at your service. Now let's hear the thing all over again, please. I've one or two questions I'd like to ask. Merriton left Scotland Yard an hour later, lighter in heart than he had been for some time. Ever since, in fact, Dacre Wynne's tragic disappearance had cast such a gloom over his life's happiness. He had unburdened his soul to Cleek absolutely, and Cleek had treated the confession with a decent sort of respect, which was enough to win any chap over to him. Merriton, in fact, had found in Cleek a friend as well as a detective. He had been a little astonished at his general get-up and appearance, but Merriton had heard of his peculiar birthright and felt that the man himself was capable of almost anything. Certainly, he proved full of sympathetic understanding. Cleek understood the ground upon which he stood. With regard to his friendship with Dacre Wynne, he had, with a wonderful intuition, sensed the peculiar influence of the man upon Nigel. This, by look and gesture, rather than by use of tongue and speech, and Cleek had already drawn his own conclusions. He heard of Nigel's engagement to Antoinette Brellier and of how Dacre Wynne had taken it. Heard indeed all the little personal things which Merriton had never told to any man, and certainly hadn't intended telling to this one. But that was Cleek's way; he secured a man's confidence, and by that method got at the truth. A bond of friendship had sprung up between them. And Cleek and Mister Narkom had promised that before a couple of days were over, they would put in an appearance at Fetchworth and look into things more closely. It was agreed that they were to pose as friends of Sir Nigel, since Cleek felt that in that way he could pursue his investigations unsuspected and make more headway in the case. But there was but one thing Nigel hadn't spoken of. And that was the very foolish and ridiculous action of his upon that fateful evening of the dinner party. Only he and Doctor Bartholomew, 
who was as close-mouthed as the devil himself over some things, knew of the incident of the pistol-shooting, so far as Merriton was aware. And the young man was too ashamed of the whole futile affair, and what it very apparently proved to the listener, that he had certainly drunk more than was good for him, to wish any one else to share in the absurd little secret. It could have no bearing upon the affair, and if Toinette got to hear of it, well, he'd look all sorts of a fool, and possibly be treated to a sermon, a prospect which he did not relish in the slightest. As he left the yard and turned into the keen autumn sunshine, he lifted his face to the skies and thanked the stars that he had come to London after all, and placed things in proper hands. There was nothing now for him to do but to go back to Meryton Towers, and as expeditiously as possible make up for the day lost from Toinette. So, after a visit to a big confectioner's in Regent Street, and another to a little jeweller in Piccadilly, Meryton got into the train at Waterloo, carrying his parcels, with a happy heart. He got out at Fetchworth Station three hours later, hailed the only hack that stood there, for he had forgotten to apprise anyone at the towers of his quick return, and drove straightway to Withersby Hall. Toinette was at the window as he swung open the great gate. When she saw him, she darted away and came flying down the drive to meet him. The contents of the various packages made her happy as a child, and it was some time after they reached the house that Nigel asked some question concerning her uncle. Her face clouded ever so little, and for the first time Nigel noticed that she was pale. "'Uncle has gone away for a few days,' she replied. "'He said it was business, what would you? But I told him I should be lonesome in this great house.' "'And I, I am so frightened at those horrible little flames "'that twinkle, twinkle all night long. "'I cannot sleep when I am alone, Nigel. "'I am a baby, I know, but I cannot help it. "'It makes me feel so afraid.' "'As was usual in moments of emotion with Toinette, "'her accent became more pronounced. "'He stroked her hair with a gentle hand, "'as though she were in very truth the child she tried not to be. "'Poor little one! I wish I could come across and put up here for the night. Hang conventions, anyway. And then, too, I have to make ready for some visitors who will be down tomorrow or the next day. "'Visitors, Nigel?' "'Yes, dear. I've a couple of friends coming to spend a short time with me. Chaps I met in London today.' "'What did you go up for, Nigel? Really?' He coloured a little, and was thankful that she turned away at that moment to straighten the collar of her blouse. He didn't like lying to the woman he was going to marry, but he had given his word to Cleek. "'Oh,' he said off-handedly, I, "'I went to my tailor's, and then stepped in to buy you that little trinket and your precious chocks and came along home again. Met these fellows on my way across town. Rather nice chaps, one of them, anyhow. Used to know some friends of friends of his, girl called Ailsa Lorne. And the other one happened to be there, so I asked him too. 
They won't worry you much, Toinette. They're frightfully keen about the country, and will be sure to go out shooting and snuffing round like these town johnnies always do when they get in places like this. Well, as Mr. Brellier isn't here, I suppose I'd better be making my way home again. Wish we were married, Toinette. There'd be no more of these everlasting separations, then. No more nightmares for you, little one. Only happiness and joy and, and heaps of other ripping things. Never mind. We'll make it soon, won't we? She raised her face suddenly and her eyes met his. There was a haunted look in them that made him draw closer, his own face anxious. What is it, dear? he said in a low, worried tone. Only take a win. Always take a win these days, she replied unsteadily. Do you know, Nigel, I am a silly girl, I know. But somehow I dare not think of marriage with you until everything is finally cleared up and his death or disappearance or whatever the dreadful affair was discovered. I feel in some inexplicable way responsible. It is as if his spirit was standing between us and our happiness. Tell me I am foolish, please. You are more than foolish, said Nigel obediently, and laughed carelessly to show her how he treated the thing. But in his heart he knew her feelings, knew them and fully understood. It was exactly as he had felt about it also. The bond that bound Dacre Wynne's life to his had not yet been snapped. The mystery of his disappearance seemed only to strengthen it. He wondered dully when he would ever feel free again, and then laughed inwardly at himself for making a farce of the whole thing, for building a mountain out of a stupid little molehill. And Toinette was helping him, they were both unutterably foolish. Anyhow, Cleek was coming soon to clear matters up. He wished with all his heart that he might tell Toinette, and thus relieve the tension of her mind. But he had given his word to Cleek, and with a man of his type his word was sacred. So he kissed her good-bye and laughed and went back to Meryton Towers to prepare for their coming. But the cloud had dropped across his horizon again, and the sun was once more obscured. There was no smile upon his lips as he clanged the great front door to behind him. End of chapter 10